0: hello everyone welcome to episode 81 70 uh, odd of those have featured Chris <laughs> <laughs> it's been that bad we we have been spending far too long talking before uh, the recording because um, well it was before the podcast but I'll count I'll count Chris as a as a friend but maybe someone is listening to this that hasn't heard the other six or seven times you've been on. Uh, mate do you just want to let people know um who you are and how long you've been in the industry that kind of thing
1: yeah so yeah I will do so hello everybody for those that have uh, uh, listened to me before I, I apologize i'm back again um for those that haven't yeah so i've been working in contact centers for 20 plus years now i think you know starting off as many of us do as an agent um and going through all the, the pain of being an agent uh, and then going on to run operations before moving into to the, the kind of technology space that I work in now. So I work for Averin, um as a solutions consultant uh, and spend a lot of time just speaking with organizations around how to drive best practice in their organizations. So or how do they get the best out of people and technology uh, to really deliver results? So I'm fascinated by our industry. It's an industry that you know I, I, I kind of fell into and fell in love with really, really quickly um prior to working of course i used to run pubs so completely opposite ends of the scale uh in terms of what we're doing but in terms of behavioral and, and some of the stuff we'll talk about today, mindsets are very close um i think it's a job that people think's easy um and the reality is it's not uh and there is a lot of things that we can do to to professionalize and drive performance and yeah i love it it's a uh, it's you know been a very good career for me, and uh, the people in it just make it all the worthwhile.
0: Love it! I love that intro. I can't believe I didn't know you used to run pubs.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I worked for Tetley Brewery, a proper Yorkshireman, right? You know, I, I worked for Tetley Brewery. I was the youngest licensee holder uh, ever given a license in seven League.
0: years old. 18. I got, given, wow. I got I
1: got. my first license uh, awarded by Leeds Magistrates Court. And back then, you had to go to court. To, you actually had, had to go stand in front of the magistrate and kind of plead your case for a license. You had to do your exams and stuff. You had to go plead your case. Uh, and I remember, like, like it was yesterday, I two, three weeks after my 18th birthday, and I'm stood there. Uh, and the, the magistrate goes, Look, oh, you're very young. What makes you uh, think? And I, I remember being like cocky 18 year old. Well, well, if I didn't think I could do it, I wouldn't be studying, would I? Uh, anyway, all right then.
0: Uh- <laughs> <laughs> he, probably, he probably just thought, Oh, well, this guy just get out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be done. So I did that. I did it there till I was about 21. Uh, um, wow, on the side, but I'd worked in contact centers before that. So I first contacted the job, I was 16. Um, when I first did, it. I did telesales that old or selling windows and dolls from a, um from, from the yellow pages i think just uh, ringing people through the phone book was a uh, brilliant
0: yeah i'm
1: um, a kind of character building that way
0: it, it definitely is so and this is this leads nicely on or even if it didn't i would somehow make it segue on to um the topic we're going to talk about today is around the mindset a mindset uh with frontline advisors um agents i don't know why but i just don't like the term agent and i think it's because it's often prefixed with just just agents or the agents i don't know i don't know i don't know why i don't like it but
1: and is that part of it though you
0: know it, it, you know i kind of get this topic going
1: off track already but is that part of the mindset because it, yeah. you know if if it's not a derogatory term, don't get me wrong, but if you if you belittle a role within an organisation, that's going to affect someone's mindset from the offset. And we, we see it all the time, don't we? People going, oh, well, we, we, we'll, we'll ju- just the agents. I, I used yeah. to be just a call centre representative. Or I used to be just a this. I used to be just a shopkeeper. I, yeah, it, it's that thing of we, we kind of sometimes belittle roles um, which will affect people's kind of confidence, I think.
0: Well, and language is important, and so you're right. I think if we recognise it's probably got negative. I don't know. My, it might just be me and you, but I'll have to use it for the purpose of this podcast, so that because everyone understands what we're we're talking about, everyone understands the agents in the call and contact centre industry. But mindset is something massively important to me, um, and you. What what was your mindset like as a as a, when you were there, maybe not just as a 16-year-old, um, but in the time that you were an agent, what kind of mindset did you have?
1: Different back then,
0: right? So I look at it and
1: go, I, I was very goal, goal oriented. I always have been quite goal oriented And starting in a sales role, I think you're predisposed, aren't you, a little bit to being goal-oriented. Because back in my day, uh, I don't know if this practice still happens, I don't sit around but I didn't get paid unless I sold stuff. Well there was I no think basic, we, yeah, was no basic salary about you know there was no basic salary it was you create a lead and if that lead pays off you got some money right and so you had to be really um you had to be really driven personally the environments I worked in back then weren't set up to really develop your mindset and we didn't really talk about it that much I think it was very much I finished school or college I went there I put my headset on or I picked up the phone. I used, to, I used to kind of get there. Back then, you could smoke and and all sorts in the office. And you, you, people would go in and you kind of walked in through the door. And on your left was like a little canteen. And people just walk in, grab an ashtray, go sit down at your little desk with an ashtray. And he was next to this bloke and he used to drink in a three hour shift four litres of cider. <laughs> he used just sit there drinking cider um, well, you, and thinking, talking, you should and come to my but, but, but he used to create and he used to make more than anybody right but he just blocked everything off around him so everybody else in that room didn't exist you know what existed was him his phone his list of people he was ringing and he would just go at it, like a metronome and he was like constant never stopped talking for the whole three four hours that I was there an evening and the results paid off for him right you no. kind of look at that and go, you know, go back to that point, view, you control your own mindset. And back then, people didn't understand that, I don't think, as much as we talk about it now. Um, and he, he would control his mindset. He would block the world out. He would get into his zone, and he would just continue down. that path. I couldn't do that. I'm too much of a sociable person. I'd, I'd make a phone call and chat for 20 minutes and then make another phone call. And I wondered why I wasn't making any money at end of the week. You know, it's kind of different, you know, different things for different people, I suppose.
0: So tip one, four litres of cider every shift. <laughs> no, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because like you, um, I started in a telesales, sales 100% um, commission. Uh, that that focuses the mind because <laughs> you're thinking, if I do not get a sale, I am not going to be able to pay the rent this month. Um and I like you. Like you say, I think we've we've evolved since then. And the first time I started, obviously, you've got your own your own view of yourself. Yeah. Um, the first time I started getting interested about other people's mindset was as a team leader. Um, did you? Was it the same for you? Did you think about right? Everyone, it, people are different. How am I going to get their mindsets right for doing well at work? I tried to. You know, I think I tried to.
1: What I didn't see the value in, and I, I, kind of when I first got into that team leader role, the, the approach I always say it was that sheep dip approach to everything. So everyone had the same targets, everyone had the same training, everyone had the same kind of, kind of operating rhythm in terms of you you coach everybody once a week, you listen to three calls a week, you do this. It was all very scripted in terms of a team leader. As a team leader, these are your ticks that you need to you need to tick every week to say that you've done them. To satisfy a requirement wherever down the train. I, I could never really find peace with that, and I, I kind of felt that it has to be a better way of doing things. But the starting point for that was really understanding the person that you're wanting to get the best out of. So telling everybody they have to hit the same target defeated the object for me. And I think right, actually, where's your starting point? What what are your strengths, and what can I, what can I work on with you to get the best out of you? during your shift and that's kind of where my first thought in the same way as you were kind of going okay so people operate in different ways and I was a relatively young team leader I think as most people are right in our industry we, we kind of we can do typically our young team leaders but that that kind of just that realization of going actually I can't treat everybody the same it's not fair that we're giving people the same things to do let's start to get underneath the bonnet a little bit and start to understand the person and then work with them on their own goals and their aspirations to to kind of get the best out of them. Um, so, yeah, you know, short answer, yes, that's probably when it did um, become more real for me in terms of understanding people. But, you know, I was far from perfect, I think, in being able to achieve it. And I think some of that was because the infrastructure of the organisations weren't there yet, you know, and I think that sometimes
0: doesn't, doesn't help. Well, I, I think... Right now, if you look at where we are as an industry, it seems like there's a real challenge on onboarding uh, our frontline team members, the people that are going to be talking to customers it it seems like it's a real challenge and perhaps it will it leads to um, more offshoring I'm not saying that's wrong, but um, it's it's a challenge at the moment and I think some of that in terms of how we think about our industry and how we attract the new, brand new talent, I believe mindset is a, is a real thing that we should be talking about because there are some, like you say, if things have changed from when we started. We're, we're far more evolved and I'm sure there's people listening to this and say, well, actually, it hasn't really changed. The guys come in, they have their targets, they do their shift. We rely on their team leaders to be the ones kind of making sure they're okay, making sure they're focused. Making sure they're motivated, all of these things. We don't necessarily need um, to be thinking about our agents' mindset as a as a strategy, but I really do think. And there is good. Um, there's loads of good stuff. I wanted to run through some of the things that I've been that I've either used myself or I've researched and found that people are people are doing. And get your your take on it.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, the, the key thing for me, and I think, you know, you touched it there, when, when organisations think about this stuff, you know, we know, right, everybody knows that if we can get people in the right frame of mind, when they or give them the, the space and the support to get them where they need to be, you know, but we know that people are more productive, the happier they are, we know that, you know, in a sales role, for example, you will get better revenues and and, and better things people become more creative you know people become safer and are happy to share and that's where innovation comes from so i think you know organizations that think that way that say you know we don't need to invest in a mindfulness strategy or whatever it might be i think you know that's wrong actually investing in that will reap further and greater
0: rewards uh, than doing what you're doing today definitely Definitely. Okay. The first one is the concept of attention fatigue. And this brings into play lots of things around the systems that we give people and how much effort it is for them to be able to deliver a good service to their um, customers, because maybe they're opening multiple systems. There's a lot of effort involved. But even if you've got a system, just one, that the agents log into, attention fatigue applies so much to our industry, because even though we have an aim, I think that agents deal with more complex tasks, more problem solving, more variety, the vast majority today will be dealing with a full shift of very similar tasks. And And we know now, because we have advances in our understanding of how we think, our neuroscience, that from an attention point of view, anything more than 40 minutes of doing the same task creates attention fatigue. And I wonder if we are factoring this enough into, like you said earlier, our environments and how we structure and support our frontline advisors. What, What do you think? um so i don't
1: think we're doing enough uh i do think some organizations are doing some really clever stuff around it and one of the things i've been and especially over this last two years talking about how do we keep people actively kind of in the right frame of mind um if they're stuck at home or if they're in a, an office where the numbers are lower than normal because there's not many people in those types of things and i think we we're we're advanced enough as an industry now to move away from traditional things like you know the scheduling that we used to have you you, you have an eight-hour shift and you have a 15-minute break after a couple of hours and you have half an hour break a couple of hours later then you have another 15 minute break later on all that stuff can be rewritten and I think you know doing less and having more breaks over the course day we can schedule for that stuff we've got technology that does all that stuff and can do all the calculations and make sure it's all happy and you're still achieving service goals there's no barrier to it so we can think differently about an individual's working day to give them you know more time away from the screen and whatever again we're advanced enough to be able to be more activity based in terms of what do we expect people to do in their eight-hour shift and not just giving them the same types of work to do again we've got the capability to look at that and give people different things and variety and all you know there's no for me there's no barrier to allow you know being able to do these things i just think we get stuck in the old ways of working in the sense that Well, I'm working an eight-hour shift. I need three breaks in that shift, so I'm going to just put those three breaks in. I think we can be a lot smarter and a lot more, a lot cuter around how we kind of utilise people's time during a day. I I just
0: don't see why it's an issue. Completely agree. Because the the reason I went first with this one, this was always my challenge on the phones, always. I would be really, really good, and then I needed something. (laughs) I needed to step away, even if it was just for a minute or two minutes, Um, Otherwise, I've become disruptive. Um, And I think there's something in that. It also lends itself to motivation and having to stay present and stay attentive to your task and to the customers when you're being challenged by attention fatigue or just not really... You need to be reminded of the bigger picture. And the bigger picture can be you're doing this because you want a career here. Let me remind you of the path, that this is yes. a step. This, this, this interaction right now, this shift is a step to getting the next, where you want to be within this company, it, it means something. The other thing from a motivation point of view that we did that uh, really changed our whole center. This is when I was a manager at this point. We spent time understanding why people did the job, And it wasn't enough to say, I'm saving for a holiday. We'd say, when are you going? Where's the holiday? Who's going? What's the experience going to be like? And then we did. Then we allowed everyone time and we helped them just kind of do like visual boards that they stuck on their desks of that holiday. And I'll never forget one guy, because we were asking open questions and it wasn't just, oh, I'm here because I want to do well. Um, he needed, as well as his living costs, to save us a particular amount of money to be able to go to America and complete an acting course because ultimately he wanted to be an actor. Um, And that massively, massively helped because once we knew that and he had that visualisation board in front of him, it helped with keeping his attention, helped him through some tough times, helped him celebrate wins because... We could say Ryan, this is another step to you know to that um, Oscar, yeah. you know, And that I think again is why we have to be looking at attention, attention fatigue, and how it links to to motivation. But it probably then opens up motivation. How best do you motivate people around to get them in the right frame of mind to do this job? I don't know,
1: is the answer. In in the sense that, again, it goes back, there's not a one-size-fits-all for that. I think, to your point, focus on their goal. So what are they doing, right? What what do they want to achieve? And what can we do as an organisation to help them get there? I think we get too stuck sometimes in that whole, we have to achieve these goals and these targets at a business level. And that's fine. You know, I, I, I'm not dismissing that in any way. But in reality, it's ha- is that important to the person that's dealing with your customers? Is delivering a service level important to everybody that's sitting, taking calls or answering emails or whatever they're doing? Is that important to them? It's important to the business, you know, it, it is. And it will be important to some people because they'll have a career path that they want to go down. You know, they might want to run their own contacts out, they want to stick in the industry. But other people are there. To help supplement something else in a lot of cases, so I think the only way you motivate an individual truly is helping support them go after their dreams, whatever those dreams might be, and creating an environment and a culture that allows people to do that. Um, you know that's got to be the critical thing. It, it, we can't just say, "Oh, we're going to have this incentive." I know we had a session on incentives and games, and they're all very, you know, th- th- they work beautifully in the right environment when we're getting down to an individual and in there you know we're we're talking about mindset it has to be about them they've got to create their own mindset but you've got to create an environment that allows them to flourish
0: Mm. yeah I think that's great I think there's um there's some there's some obvious things that I think a lot of places miss and that is just about reminding people where they sit in the in the bigger picture that or their customers, the company is you and how you show up and you are doing this for a reason. And then trying to, I think the concept is called priming and it's about moving yourself from how you are feeling to how others are feeling and the others in this case being the customer. So, and again, this is where language can help rather than saying today I've dealt with a hundred calls, you if you say i've made 100 customers happy yeah that then keeps the attention on i think because yeah. knowing what you're doing and we used to do this exercise where we would just stop and say tell me about your last customer and invariably people go to what the problem was and i said no 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 tell me what's what's the customer's name where do they live where might that call that they've made into us today fit in their life have you just sort of visualized are they a working parent they know they've got to ring us because they need to sort out their insurance they have probably thinking the call's going to be long how did you help them today how did they leave the call what's the rest of their day look like let's spend a little moment visualizing visualizing that and again it's not something you can't diarize this into uh your team leader's day and say go and do this visualisation exercise or, um, but they're just things, just reminders to, again, keep people's attention on their job because it is tough, isn't it? Yeah. It's, you know, it's the hardest job. And I,
1: and I always look at it and go, my, my starting point everywhere is that we're all equal, right? So I don't do hierarchy in my head. and just it doesn't work for me. But what I look at is going, if we start at an equal footing and then we look at, we have different responsibilities. So I go, everyone's the same, just with different responsibilities. And then being able to understand your responsibility is this. My responsibility is this. And that helps me frame what I need to do. Because actually, I then understand what I'm responsible for, what is, you know, the goal that I need to achieve, what is, you know, my you know, my part to play, like you said. That's where it comes down to it. And I think if we Rather than it being, or go back to the first point, you're just an advisor. They're not, right? They're an advocate of the business. They're somebody who can support. You know, We don't know who's going to come through on that phone line at any time. It's not predictable. We don't know what emotional state they're going to be in. We don't know what the impact of it is on them. We don't do any of that. So we need to make sure those responsibilities for those people that are dealing with those people are clearly defined. Your responsibility is to care and solve. That's it. If you put it in that simplest terms, right? Mm -hmm. Care about the person that's coming through, solve the problem that they're ringing about, for example. That's it, right? So, when you break it down into smaller parts, actually, from a mindset perspective, you can deal with that. Do you know what I mean? I think you can deal with things easier when it's more digestible in smaller parts. If you took that role and said your responsibility is to care for people and solve problems, that's different from saying you're there to answer calls and get shouted up.
0: Yes. Yeah, completely. And it does tie in nicely to the next one I've got, which is it. All and contact centres should really take a look at their processes with a specific aim to increase the autonomy of their advisors, agents, to be able to complete tasks more so than they do at the moment. Because again, from a mindset point of view, it actually has a negative impact for uh, not being able to complete whatever it is the customer's calling about. And looking at those kind of pockets where there are handovers, really understanding whether you can give your agents more autonomy, the autonomy to be able to make decisions, solve problems, having a bit more of a bigger like playground, a bit more of uh, bandwidth about decision-making Um, this must be something you see in your sort of travels around our world
1: yeah all the time so I think you know and I think goes back to the point in in terms of creating a cultural environment that allows people to grow if you're someone with a growth mindset if you're being kind of subdued by organizational hierarchy and processes and things like that, you're soon going to become fed up it'll happen really quickly if you've not got that freedom to do it and I think again there is enough you know it's that we are risk averse a lot of the time in our industry we don't want to make mistakes but by doing that we still uh, kind of things like innovation and and, and thinking and things like that because we're scared of failing Mm.
0: and
1: we need to get into the mindset as an industry to go, don't matter about failing. Let's not call it failure, just say that's a lesson we've learned today. It's a really cheesy kind of t- tagline, right? But that's the, the point, right? We kind of build processes and systems to try and create the right outcome. But right? we can't do that because, like I said before, you never know what's going to come through. You never know the person, you never know their state of mind. You don't know that. And a process can't dictate that. And I think processes are fine and we do need some control around what we're doing, but we need to have enough about ourselves to trust people to make the right decision for the moment that they're dealing with at that specific time. And nine times out of 10, the standard process might fit. And that's fine. But that one in 10 where it doesn't fit, we should be able to go, right, I can do this for you. And have that freedom and not then go away and have to justify it you know I think that's the thing if it doesn't work out and it's the wrong thing to do we learn from it and we go again that's what it should be we shouldn't be chastised for it because that again will still people's growth
0: Mm. I like it I think right now in everyone's centre there are people who know the shortcuts they, they they just deal with the problems. They probably do more than the majority of your um, frontline team members. My plea would be, go and find out what they do, find out the shortcuts and share them, and yeah. say there is a reason that Carol's able to solve this problem. It might not be the right prescribed way, but if it gets the customer what they need, find out what it is she's doing. See if it can be shared and introduced into your training and is it worth changing your process? I don't think, again, that might be where some of that mindset of, of it's just the agents. We we need a we need a, well, somebody else it, to find this. And it could all. be, you know,
1: but again, you know, if people are bought into what they're doing, they will try and find solutions to it. Right? If, if people are bought in and they love what they do, they will do what they can to fix the issues that, that are presented to them. And I think, that's the people that we need. They're the people, that's the people. That's not right English, is it? They're the people that we need <laughs> to really kind of focus on and go, actually, we can learn from that and learn as a as a team, as a department, whatever it is, to try and get the best out of others. I think, you know, in any organisation, you're always going to find pockets of negativity. It's just part and parcel. I don't think, you know, we can't out. I'm not going to sit here on your podcast, Martin, with my rose-tinted glasses on and, you know, and think that and paint a rosy picture of the world. We can't, right? Why not? Well, I'd love to, right? Realistically, we're always going to find pockets of negativity. No matter what your job is, no matter what your organisation does, doesn't matter. There's always going to be pockets of negativity. And I don't think it's about kind of stamping out the negativity within an organisation. I don't know if that's right, because I think sometimes negativity helps us to think differently. So, you know, negativity comes from somewhere.
0: Mm.
1: It comes from a frustration, generally. It comes from something, right? It's not just, you know, know, this might be my role to do, but it's not just somebody that's just miserable, right, and who likes to mourn. There might be people like that out there. But I think generally when someone is negative – that negative has come from something it's born from something that's happening within the organization that is frustrating them. And I think rather than try to stamp out negativity, we need to learn why people are being negative. And when we learn why people are being negative, we understand what we're missing as a business. Yeah. What are the things that we're not doing right? Because you know 80% might be really happy, 90% might be really happy. But that, for me, doesn't matter. If we want to try and get everybody happy, we need to understand why people are negative and unhappy and then understand what we can do to, to change their mindset around.
0: I'm, I'm all for that. I'm like you. I think if you can embrace um, Moans, I'll give you um, something that we do at BPA, actually, is when we've gone into centres before, if you've got a movable whiteboard, brilliant. Um, we'd roll a whiteboard into a call centre floor and ask everyone when they have a moan or they, as long as the moan is about work, right? And, you know, it's not a, it's not, pers- it's not personal. It's more about the role or a process or something that's, something that's wrong,
1: get it up there.
0: And we, we would over to a couple of days, no more than two. Uh, normally it can be done in one, actually. Board is just full of stuff. And then taking that, taking the things that people have moaned about you, there's some absolute gold nuggets in there. Really, really good stuff. Um, You've absolutely got to do something with it. Otherwise you just make the moan, you make a new moan, which is what we told them. We, no one did anything. Um, There's some, and even if there's things you can't do by addressing it front on, it's great. Cause like you, you've got to be able to live in, live in reality. Right. And those moans are good.
1: It it is, right? It's like anything, right? Any type of feedback like that, it's about communication and it's about embracing what they're saying, you know. And I yeah, I look at it. I'm I'm I try to be as positive as I can be. I'm one of those people I, I don't have time to be miserable. I just find it I find it draining. Well um, you're a lead you're a leads fan. I'm a leads and fan. I've got to i to stay positive, right? Um but what's trivial to me might be the end of the world to somebody else, and that as leaders. We need to be really clear on, and I think sometimes the, we lack empathy for other people's situations, and that stops us enabling people to develop their mindset. Because, that, and, and we just have to make sure that you know that we go back to the original point: that individuality, understand them as a person, understand what is going to annoy them, understand what is going to frustrate them understand what barriers and blockages they're putting up around themselves and before it spirals and then give them an outlet to be able to, you know, alleviate some of that. I, I think we just, we, I think we just need to be really personal when it comes to building a culture of
0: mindset. I love it. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a nice one here. Um, there's a Buddhist monk on TikTok, right? and he is brilliant because the maximum time he's got is like three minutes. Um, but he did one that I think applies to, definitely to, well, all, anyone that plays anyone that's into gaming, right? Is a gamer. He says, uh, or he did this post, he said, Their real gaming is great for teaching people about uh, mindfulness, having a good mindset because when you're gaming, you are absolutely in the moment. You are not thinking about the future. You are not thinking about the past. You're 100% present in that. Whether it is uh, multiple players that you're talking to, or, or whether it's just you, that's it, right? That That's the only thing that matters. That's where you get your joy from, where you overcome challenges. Uh, and it is it is kind of in the moment, and he said that's a core principle of Buddhism, and why Buddhists there's less uh, less percentage of anxiety and depression because anxiety is future based, depression's past based. Yeah. But by staying in the present, and it was just a surprise because I think it's too easy to say oh, gaming's bad for people or it's it's a waste of it's a waste of time. Actually. It, they're training their minds to be mindful and, yeah. being, and being present. And I think if you can take analogies like that and apply it to our, our work and what we do, we know, don't we, if you're present, if, if I'm present in this call with you, it's going to be a better recording than if I was yeah. distracted and my attention was in multiple places.
1: And I think, you know, and I agree, I think trying to get in the moment is key. I like that. And I like I like the, you know, I think we the past is the past, right? We can learn from it and we can make changes on the back of it. But if we live there, it consumes you, right? That's kind of where it is. And then the future is to be determined. So why worry about it? Do you know what I mean? What you can control is today, to a degree. You can control you today, control what you do. You can control tomorrow morning when you wake up, what are you going to achieve today? And you can set that list and you can set that goal and you can set that timeline for yourself. You control all of that. Um, And that's, for me, the basis of how you kind of start to grow as an individual. I think that has to be, because we can spend too much time thinking about the what-ifs. And I think sometimes we get too consumed by that. And that's across society. It's not just in our industry. But I think, you know, in our industry, I've seen a lot of what ifs, what ifs. And I go, well, does it matter? It's happening. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. you didn't service level last week. You can't do anything about it now.
0: Yeah.
1: But what can we learn from that to make sure we achieve service level this week? Mm. Yeah. Or next week or whatever. Right. And it's just that they of going, what ifs and hindsight and all those things can be really damaging to developing a mindset. That's going to be positive and
0: And I think there's a free, there's a, there is a freedom in work and it, it would be good for us to remind frontline advisors of that to your point. Don't worry about what's happened. Don't worry about what might come or what else is going on in your, in your life, right? At the time, this is an opportunity for you for the next hour to be present for our customers and help them out. And what a great feeling of satisfaction you could get at the, at the end of that. That for me is where, I'd want my team leaders operating in that kind of space, and you're right. It's it's very individual. It could it needs to be individualistic. Some people might not respond well to that, um, but I, I think, you know, whatever we're doing, if we're if we're present and just in the moment, we we do our best. And I think everyone wants to do a good job.
1: Uh, I agree,
0: and I think work right. And that sounds really. Know, it's
1: cheesy, right? But work could be can be a great escapism, yeah, from everything else, right? You know, I, I've talked about you this past right. Work for me is a part I play in the you know the,
0: the one man show life. that is press <laughs> yeah. the,
1: the film that the film that is my life, right? Part of that is work. It's a big part of it, but it's a part I play. I'm not the same when I'm not at work as I, when I am at work. I'm a different person, right? My wife will attest to that, right? But When I'm at work, I can escape from all the other stuff that's going on. I can cocoon myself in work and I can do what I need to do in terms of the relationships that I build, in terms of the outcomes I want to deliver, those types of things. So I kind of get in that mindset of going, this is my escapism. Because actually, when I'm not at work, when I'm not at work, I don't want to think about work. Mm. So if I can cocoon it in the day, and be in the moment of work and and do that, that actually when it comes to an evening or comes to a weekend, the time I spend with the people that I love becomes more fulfilling because I'm not thinking about the other stuff because actually I've closed that. Now I'm not in work anymore. I'm now dad or husband or friend or whatever. And that's where I get to. And I think that, for me, that escapism is... It's a perfect buffer. I think if it bleeds too much into one another, that's when it's hard to um, create separation.
0: Mm-hmm. Whatever, I love some of that because that is whatever you do, whatever you do, do it well. Yeah. Do it well. Whatever your role is, find the joy that you get by knowing. You've not left anything on the field. You've just given maximum effort and you've been you've been present. Um, I just want to end. This is going to be a shorter one. We're going to come back and do some more of these. But I just want to end with the key question. Who would play you in the film of your life?
1: <laughs> who knows? I'll tell you what I'd like to play, but he's far better looking than me. Matthew McConaughey, I think he's got... The nuts him like is because I think you know, and if you look at some of his stuff that he's released lately, I listen to him and his book that's come out, it's phenomenal. But he has that same kind of belief system, right? That we try to strive towards and things like that. But he would be perfect, he's got the quirks, uh, I think, and the stunning good look. <laughs> could, he, could he do the accent? He, he could do anything he wants, I think. He's one of those types <laughs> of people, isn't he?
0: Well, Matthew McConaughey, thank you very much for joining me on episode 81. (laughs) Thanks, mate. Love you.
1: No, I love you, mate. Take care, pal. The I didn't realise you liked me that way deal, because it's one thing to receive McDonald's, but an entirely other thing to know that they woke up early to face the world and bring you McDonald's breakfast still hot in the bag.
0: Appreciate you.